The so-called Purgatorio movement is the shortest of any of Mahler's purely symphonic movements, lasting little more than four minutes. Wedged between two large and complex scherzos, this brief, relatively uncomplicated movement seems nearly buried by them. Its position as the central movement makes it kin to the middle movement of the Seventh Symphony, with which it has some elements in common, such as the prominence of scherzando-like music, a phantasmagorical atmosphere, and a churning rhythmic underpinning that recalls Das Irdische Leben. Mahler captures the same feeling of anxiety at the approach of death that this Wunderhorn song so poignantly expresses. The creators of performing versions or realizations of the tenth disagree about whether Mahler withdrew the title Purgatorio from this movement before he died. Whatever the case may be, the ephemeral, eerie quality that pervades the movement befits an association with Dante's masterpiece. A dark cloud hovers over the principal theme, which anxiously winds its way around the strings, as if weaving a web in which to ensnare a potential victim. Piercing outbursts that break the steady rhythmic flow have a chilling effect upon the atmosphere, as if foreshadowing catastrophe. At the end, everything goes up in a puff of smoke, giving the impression that the entire movement might have been nothing but a conjurer's fantasy. Mahler's inner demon lurks behind every turn of phrase like a ghostly specter, patiently awaiting its opportunity to wreak havoc upon the human spirit, as it will in the diabolical movement that follows. In this sense, the Purgatorio serves as a prelude to the last two movements. Henri-Louis de Lagrange conjectures that Mahler began work on the last three movements of the tenth after discovering his wife's affair with Walter Gropius. In several places in the sketches for this movement, Mahler scrawls personal exclamations of profound grief and torment. One comes across such pained expressions as Erbarmen, have mercy, which also may have been intended as a reference to Parsifal, and becomes a symbol for suffering. Also we see tot, verk, probably an abbreviation of verklärung, meaning transfiguration, or as Colin Matthews suggests, totes verkundigen, a reference to the Annunciation of Death scene in Wagner's Die Valkyrie Act II. At one point, the music itself alludes to the fate motive from Wagner's ring cycle. Numerous thematic and motivic elements included here will reappear in the last two movements. The interval of the inverted mordant figure from Scherzo I is stretched from a second to a third, and then a fourth, Mahler's favorite interval, producing a three-note motto that sounds like a shrieking witch's cackle when played on woodwinds in their high registers. A cellular figure with trilled upbeat, preceded by two sixteenths rising stepwise, is contained in both the movement's principal themes, a variant of the motive of the devil's dance that had been heard in the first two movements appears here. The contrast of themes in major and minor keys connotes the harmonic version of the motive of fate, and a descending dotted rhythmic figure that sounds like the cry of an inconsolable sufferer is also included. The Purgatorio's deceptively simple tripartite structure recalls the Blumina movement, which Mahler excised from the first symphony. 
but it is much more advanced in its ground plan, its thematic content, and skillful integration and interrelation of musical material. Impressionistic modal harmonies and the soft churning rhythms of the accompaniment combine to create a mysterious atmosphere. The sharp contrast of the opening key, B-flat minor, with the F-sharp major ending of Scherzo I has an even more disconcerting effect than had the F-sharp minor beginning of that movement following the serene F-sharp major ending of the first movement. The Purgatorio opens quietly with a brief introduction on the churning moto perpetuo rhythm using the notes of a B-flat minor chord minus the third. Over this ostinato rhythm, bassoons add a perky repeating double note couplet of staccato eighths. A clarinet and muted violins embellish the chordal notes of the underlying rhythm. Oboes thrust out a wicked three-note figure consisting of a rising and falling fourth, echoed forcefully by bassoons. From the outset, a feeling of apprehension taints the otherwise calm atmosphere and steady musical flow. Relentless repetitions of the churning string figuration connote both the unremitting motion of time and its ceaseless revolutions, as well as eternal return. Violins begin the principal theme with a four-note arching figure, an upbeat of two short notes followed by a two-note figure on a falling second, with the first note embellished with a trill. This we'll call motive A. Like so many of Mahler's demonic motives, this musical cell contains a forceful upbeat followed by a suddenly softened downbeat. The main theme is constructed of fragmentary materials strung together, rising scalar runs played across the bar on a crescendo and the important anapestic three-note figure from the introduction on a rising third, motive B, the form in which the latter will appear throughout most of the movement. Motive B will return in the last two movements, always sounding like a wicked sneer from Mahler's merciless inner demon. The first theme closes by reversing the progression of its various elements. The rising scalar figures are inverted, the anapestic motive B falls instead of rises, and the opening demonic motive A that begins the theme now closes it. A solo oboe follows softly with an expressive second theme in B-flat major. In contrast with the first theme, the second theme's initiating arch has a congenial rather than an acrimonious character. This pleasant, rather carefree theme playfully tinkers with elements of the first theme, particularly motives A and B, thus weakening thematic contrast. After its initial statement, these two motives are repeated by first violins independently. Motive A played strongly and motive B softly, like an echo.
A flute varies the second theme by partially inverting it. Both motives A and B are excluded, even though they do appear after the flute finishes to prepare for a variation of the second theme, now in the tonic. Bassoons and low strings transform the character of this theme by giving it a dark, sinister quality, forcing it to begin with a lugubrious downward turn figure. During this dismal variation of an otherwise amiable tune, the violins arrogantly assert motive A, while low strings covertly insert motive B, playing it on a rising second that makes it sound like the inverted mordant motive from Scherzo I. As this variation of the second theme gains momentum and becomes stronger, a grace-noted eighth is inserted as an upbeat at the end of the rising and then falling figure that is part of this theme, transforming its character into that of the first theme. In fact, by the time motives A and B return at the end of this variation, the demonic first theme seems to have completely overtaken the milder second theme. Mahler has once again established a duality between a gentle aspect of the human spirit and its devilish, destructive counterpart, embroiled in a skirmish that appears to be going badly for the former. The middle section begins as the brass urgently propel the music forward with a fierce outcry of the motive of woe, a falling minor second. With the chord on which the falling second of this motive resolves, the key changes to D minor. Trumpets follow with a trilled variant of the devil's dance motive, which includes motive B, punctuated by the timpani on Mahler's favorite drumbeat of, of falling fourths. Over this pounding rhythm comes a Wunderhorn-esque variation of the Devil's Dance in trilled dotted rhythms that fall stepwise. This motivic variant will be transformed into a cry of pain during the middle section and will return in its original devilishly playful character as part of the finale's scherzando subject. Woodwinds follow with a bit of 16th note figuration that extrapolates upon the preceding variant of the Devil's Dance. A trumpet expands upon the new theme with a phrase based upon the second theme of the opening section. All of these elements are then strung together and developed, first in violins and then flutes. During the course of this development, the motive Der Tagist Schern from the fourth song of Kinter Totenlieder is inserted into the 16th note figuration for a single measure. And here it is. This motive played an important role in the Ninth Symphony. As at the close of the first theme, motives A and B are added to the end of this segment. Let's listen from the beginning of the middle section.
Motives A and B lead directly into a new theme, played strongly, though haltingly, by violins. It begins with the same falling sequence of dotted rhythms that appeared in the preceding section, but here played in an expanded version, with a turn figure added. At first, this new theme sounds sorrowful, primarily because of its downward pull and the somewhat halting tempo, but as it proceeds, the theme ascends with a mighty upward thrust, as if pleading for relief from sorrow. Suddenly, the new theme is cut short by motive A, that tries to bring back the scherzando music of the first section. Once again, the new theme sinks to the depths, chilling the atmosphere like an enunciation of death. The same thematic phrase that occurs at this portentous moment will return during the final two movements, where it will interrupt the melodic flow as a portent of doom. As it descends, a variant of motive B pierces the dark musical fabric like a rapier thrust, generating a cry of pain on a diminished chord in winds, foreshadowing the ending of the movement. But even this cold blast does not freeze the music for more than a moment. Bass strings add a turn figure from the new theme as the powerful wind chord diminishes. The turn then telescopes into a brief return of the first theme from the opening section in oboes. As they conclude, muted trumpets seem to sneer at them with motive B, here made to sound more satanic than ever. Oboes drive the pace forward on the Devil's Dance, to which clarinets add anapestic rhythms from the opening of the middle section, broken into snippets by muted trumpets. Violins piteously cry out the motive of falling dotted rhythms heard earlier, here played in octaves and weighed down by its own mournful character. Mahler scrawls at the top of this page of the sketches the word Erbarmen, and at the bottom... Jesus' tragic cry of despair, O God, O God, warum hast du mich verlassen? O God, O God, why have you forsaken me? After a short-lived attempt by fragments of thematic material to divert the music away from these increasingly intense tragic outbursts, the Erbarman motive re-enters in the full orchestra with overwhelming force. At this point, Mahler wrote yet another Christ-like expression on the sketch page, Deine Wille geschwecke, thy will be done. The depth of emotion evoked by this brief passage indicates how profoundly affected Mahler must have been by the discovery of Alma's infidelity, a crushing blow from which he would never recover. For yet a third time, the coupled motives A and B cut off the tragic Erbarman phrase and begin a bridge passage to the reprise of the movement's opening section, using elements from that section played in succession by woodwinds. After the intensity of the preceding outbursts dissipates, 
calmed by this relatively brief transition, the first section returns in its original tempo and in the tonic key. Violins restate the first theme, but when the flute takes it up, motive B appears as the centerpiece, its mocking character given a sharper edge by biting staccatos, played at the upper limit of the flute's range. An oboe reprises the second theme in its original B-flat major, but the flute variation that follows contains slight alternations, the most significant of which is the extension of the falling variant of motive B. Another oboe enters with a fragment of the first theme that contains both motives A and B and is played an octave higher. This time the first theme is not cut off by a variation of the second, but continues without interruption. As the music softens to pianissimo, a clarinet and bassoon spin off thematic fragments of the first theme. Motive B is altered so that it rises by a fourth, flicked by a grace note. Throughout the reprise of the first section, the winding ostinato continues, connoting the regularity and monotony of everyday life. Suddenly, a muted trombone defiantly blasts out the demonic motive B leading as it did earlier into a low diminished chord of an impressionistic hue. Igniting this flash of chordal dissonance, motive B falls by an augmented fifth, as if plunging into the abyss. This spine-chilling chord is embellished with a long, arching harp glissando that has the effect of waving off the gloomy chord. String basses then state motive B, now sounding cold and heavy, in the wake of the preceding chordal outburst. With a soft tam-tam stroke on the last note of this motive, the music vanishes, and the movement ends as if having gone up in a puff of smoke. The tonal vagueness of the concluding chord offers no clear answer as to whether we've just witnessed a revelation or a conjurer's trick. Yet it does recall the mysterious German sixth chord that opened the finale of the Sixth Symphony. It is also akin to the orchestral outburst accompanied by waves of harp glissandos that break in toward the close of the third movement of the third symphony. That movement envisioned an intermediate realm between inanimate nature and God, just as this one may represent Mahler's conception of the middle ground between heaven and hell, as depicted in Dante's scenario. Our last excerpt begins from the return of the second theme, and continues to the end of the movement. 